On this episode of OWC Radio, I'm speaking with Felix Cavalieri, who you know from the 60s, the group The Young Rascals. Currently, he's touring with Felix Cavalieri's Rascals, but some of his songs are absolutely legendary. We're going to talk with him about his 50-year career and falling in love and fighting for what's right in the 60s. This is a man who has done so much for the music in our country that he is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Songwriter Hall of Fame, the Vocal Group Hall of Fame, and the Grammy Hall of Fame. And I was very lucky to pull him aside and spend some time with him. So I think you'll enjoy this. But in the meantime, we have lots of news. OWC announced this week the first ever Thunderbolt 3 certified bus-powered portable storage solution. It's an enclosure called the OWC Envoy Express. And I asked Larry O'Connor about it. It allows you to use any M.2 2280 NVMe SSD of your choosing you know, via Thunderbolt 3 on a Mac or PC. And since Thunderbolt has been out, uh, including Thunderbolt and Thunderbolt 2, there has never been a bus-powered kit that a user could purchase and add their own drive. So this is the first time ever that you can use any existing drive, any future drive, any M.2 2280 of your choosing in a bus-powered Thunderbolt enclosure. On top of everything else, it's also uh, three times faster than the fastest USB 3 enclosure solution and is 50% faster than the fastest Thunderbolt compatible uh, USB uh, Type-C uh, 3.1 Gen 2 uh, solution enclosure. So it's a really great option for folks who want the reliability of a certified solution you know, that operates over Thunderbolt and that, that benefit of that higher Thunderbolt performance. Ever since the beginning of Thunderbolt, you know, people have been clamoring for you know, these, these bus-powered kits. You know, we, of course, provide a wide variety of desktop solutions for add-your-own-drive, whether it be an SSD or a hard drive or even uh, NVMe SSDs. But people have long you know, been waiting for a bus-powered zero-gigabyte kit, and you know, that strongly drove our, uh, our desire and our, and our reasoning for you know, bringing this out there. And this, this comes you know, by means of you know, just the, the great team that we've got now you know, in, in Europe, in the U.S., and in Taipei, coordinating uh, you know, both the, the product development direction as well as the, the engineering team, you know, which is based now in, primarily in Taipei, you know, close to where Intel and the chipset manufacturers are. The Envoy Express is certified DIY, very easy, super fast, convenient. It comes ready to go with the 10.2-inch Thunderbolt 3 cable. It's tiny. It's shorter than a ballpoint pen and weighs only 3.3 ounces with the drive. It's silent, so you can edit right next to it. It's rugged, and I love that it comes with the back of laptop screen slide mount. So you can just mount it to the back of your laptop, and because it's bus-powered, you don't have cords running everywhere. And then it comes with a worry-free two-year OWC limited warranty. Check it out on MacSales.com. In other news, OWC announced that they now are releasing SoftRaid Lite for Windows. Those of you who are familiar with the Mac version and who also work on Windows will be very, very pleased to know this. Go to software.owcdigital.com and learn more about SoftRaid 
light. Intel this week also announced Thunderbolt 4, and a lot of people are very curious about what that's going to mean. This is a very significant move forward. Go to blog.maxsales.com, and as is often the case, they have a very detailed breakdown of Thunderbolt 4, how it's different, and how it can help in your end-to-end solutions. Also on Rocket Yard, you'll find more information on OWC's just recently shipping Thunder Bay Flex 8. This is an amazing machine. It offers eight drive bays and it supports a mix of SATA, SAS, U2 NVMe drives up to 128 terabytes of storage capacity. So there's an amazing plethora of ports. There's two Thunderbolt 3, USB-C, and two USB-A ports for device docking and charging. So you can see your work with greater clarity and add an 8K display. This thing was really built from the ground up to help us address all the storage requirements of today moving into tomorrow. And there you have it for this week on OWC News. Go to Rocket Yard at blog.maxsales.com. Rummage around there. You're going to find answers to a lot of your questions. And now let's move into my interview with Felix Cavalieri. He's amazing. Put your dancing shoes on, put your smile on, and let's just have some fun with a classic, amazing musician. It's time for OWC Radio. Tech Talk with Creatives. Conversations with host Serena Catania. This is Serena Catania with OWC Radio. I'm going to have a really good time in the next few minutes talking with Felix Cavalieri. And, you know, I want to ask you, Felix, the Italian pronunciation would be Cavaliere, right? Absolutely. But Americans call you Cavalieri. If I'm lucky. Oh. (laughs) Down here, down here, seriously, they stop at Cav. Oh, there you go. Felix Cav. They don't even try it. You're the Cav. But you say it correctly. You say it perfectly. And I'm not sure whether, you know, when, when they came over that they changed the I to an E or something like that. I don't know. But the only other person that really has in public helped me was John Sebastian. Because, you know, John is Italian. I don't know if you know that. No, I didn't know that. John Sebastian Pugliese is his real name. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and he grew up in Florence and he speaks perfect Italian. Oh, wow. So when, when we did a TV show years ago, he, he pronounced it just like you did with the I and the E, Cavalieri, and it screwed everybody up because they, they can't say that. I don't know why. It's so easy. It's such a beautiful name. Well, thank you. Thank Felix you. Cavalieri. Felice Cavalieri. <laughs> yeah. Felice. I'm Chirina Lisa Maria Catania Giorgetta. <laughs> oh, how beautiful. Beautiful. See, I'm the third in my family. Just as an aside, because St. Felix was born in in this town near Naples where my father's family came from. So I'm the third. Wow, that's wonderful. So you're from Naples. My family's from Catania, Sicily, and the little towns outside of Catania. But we digress. I have so much to talk to you about. You started out, well, you didn't start out, but for many years you were with, they used to be called the Young Rascals. Now they're the Rascals as we're all growing up. And um, you have a long history, which um, I've introduced the audience to you before we actually started recording here. But talk to me for a moment, and then we can backtrack as well. But talk to me for a moment. I think you just finished a new CD, a new album. Do you want to talk about that? 
Yes, it, while, while I was locked up here, uh, I was able to uh, start and uh, almost complete a 10-song album. I had an idea. We had an idea. We came, we came across an idea. Five songs from the past that kind of inspired me, we re-recorded. And then we wrote five new songs to show like sort of that influence. So it was really a really a, a ball because first of all you know you, you start off with five really good songs it makes it a lot easier, and then writing is something that I really enjoy. I, the creative process to me has always been probably the most exciting and interesting part of of uh, of, of, of making music. Mm-hmm. So we had a really really good time. Well, you're so lucky. You were classically trained. I know your mother pushed you yes. into that. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So tell me, which five songs did you pick from the past? Well, you might not know. You probably know Spanish Harlem. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And because Benny King was a tremendous influence. He was a good friend. And and then we took a Ray Charles and we took Mary Ann, a song called Mary Ann. And then we, we did Higher and Higher, which was a Jackie Wilson song. And uh, we did Slip Away. I don't know if you're familiar yes, with that. Yes, I am. I, I know all of these. This is my era you're talking about. <laughs> yes, ma'am. And then we took a little, a, one that's a, maybe a little obscure to you. It's called Searching for My Baby, which was uh, a big hit in the South by this group called Bobby Bobby Moore. And literally, we almost reproduced them. I mean, we, we, didn't, we, we, we didn't copy them completely, but we, we came pretty close. And then I wrote five new ones in, the, in, in those genres. And uh, ah, I got a great band down here in Tennessee because that's one thing we do have. We may not have Italian food, but we got good musicians. Yeah, you do. Who's in your group now? I got guys from, uh, uh, you know, guys who've been around for a while. I've got uh, Mr. Santoro, Vinny Santoro on drums. I've got Mike Seavers on a guitar. I've got this guy from New York, Benny Harrison. And uh, I've got a bass player who kind of moves around, John Howard. And uh, they're really, really good. And, and they, they, they kind of grew up on the music from the 60s. Uh, and they they certainly know, you know, all the different songs of that era as well. So we, we, have, we have really a good time. And if I keep saying that's because we really have a good time. Well, you know, you've always been that way. I, I've been watching some of your your shows from the good old days, and you just really look like you enjoy what you do. Now, that's your job, obviously, as a musician up on stage. But, you know, we can tell when somebody's really happy at what they do. Of course. Most of the people who I know who have lasted, for want of a better word, mm-hmm. they love it. Mm-hmm. They love it. I mean, they Ringo, you got to pull them off the stage. <laughs> you got you got to got you got I'm telling you like the old hook he, he loves it we all love it if you don't if you don't love it I tell you what don't don't go near this business cuz it's a it's it's rough yeah it, it well it is tough it's it's very competitive and there's a whole business side to it that kind of sometimes clashes with the creative but um back to these songs how did you make the transition from the old analog to what to the digital way of doing things and how did you record this in the time of coronavirus well, basically, the transition happened because I, being a keyboard player, I was exposed to synthesizers pretty early, you know, way back when. And synthesizers pretty much were digital, you know, and they had digital, uh, you know, kind of like components from the beginning. So uh, I kind of got hip to that idea of uh, so-called technology, for want of a better word, mm-hmm. uh, very early, because when they started, you know, the 60s were also a very creative time for a lot of things besides, 
you know, besides just the music, I mean, there were like these electronic inventions that were, you know, came out of that era, you know, even like, you know, the, the videotape and, you know, the VHS and, uh, you know, all that stuff came, came out of that time. So the people would literally bring those around for us to try. And in our case, there were two companies, uh, ARP, A-R-P, uh, which I think was a Massachusetts company, total digital technology geniuses, and Moog, who is a familiar name, more familiar. Of course, yeah. So they would bring these things in, and then it was up to us to learn them. You know, uh, sometimes they would give us, you know, a little help, but there were no online tutorials because there was no online yet. I know. Isn't that amazing to think about that? I, I know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine a world without it. Actually, I wish it would go away sometimes, to be honest with you. <laughs> so I became involved with it. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of, I, I just was fascinated by it. And, 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 you know, I got, I had five kids. I made sure all of my kids were technically savvy because I knew this was going to happen. You know, you could see it coming, you know, like, you know, you're, you're going to have to learn this box, you know. And uh, some of them really took to it. And, they, you know, some of them make a living from it, which is good. So, you know, I, I enjoy it. I, I, I look, there, there's, there's good and bad, you know, and, uh, my guru, you know, I was studying for many years with used to tell us, well, you know, take, there's no such thing as good and bad. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, take electricity. He says, if you plug in your toaster, it's good. If you plug in your finger, it's bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's true. Who was Very your guru? True. I want to know who this person was. Sachidananda, the oh, yeah. who opened up the, what do you call it? He changed my life. I mean, really? he really did. He, well, yeah, he kept me out of the, you know out of trouble, you know, and 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 brought me to. I don't know if this is what you're interested in talking about, but you know, basically, I come from a medical family, you know. So basically, uh, you know, my father kind of told me, he said, "Look, you know, when you become a doctor, which you know was I was studying, you're a doctor your whole life. When you become a musician, you better keep making hit records, man, or you're gone." You know, I mean, you don't have a hit record for a year. And, you know, who was that guy? What, what was his name? You know, what was the name of that group? And that threw me because I realized, oh, my God, there's no there's no platform for your legs here, for your feet to be on the ground. This is a very shaky turf we're on. Yeah, it is. And that and that's when I met the guru. And you know, he really helped me with that and a lot of other things as to kind of, you know, retain sort of a balance uh, yeah, it's a difficult business, and, and, and it's even more difficult now. I was wondering how you kept the twinkle in your eyes after all these years. I, I, I think this is wonderful because you're passing this along to millions of people. And, you know, in our business, they say you're only as good as your last song or you're only as good as your last film or like you said. But the, the good thing, and I was thinking about this this morning and I was thinking about talking with you, is that your music... I think you're blessed because your music, every generation that's come along in the last 50 years that you've been doing this, they all have an appreciation for it. And it's still new. It's still new. I mean, it really is because not just because the melodies are wonderful, because the themes are timely again. When you think about the 60s and what was happening in the 60s, and I'm wondering, uh, and I don't want to get too political, but... I do believe that what we're going through right now is somehow a different, maybe a little dirty mirror, but it's a, in some ways a mirror of what was happening in the 60s. And I wonder how far we've really come, you know. Have we? Exactly. Good question. Right? Yeah. yeah. We're still we're still fighting the same battle. 
I don't know. Like I said, that's such a crazy, crazy world we're in right now. Well, let's talk about, there's one song that, but there's so many songs I want to talk to you about, but one that comes to mind since we're talking about the 60s and and is is People Got to Be Free. Absolutely, yeah. All it takes is you to understand and to pull him through. Talk to me about that song and what that meant to you at the time and what it means to you now. Well, basically, um, I was working uh, very seriously for Robert Kennedy's uh, uh, candidacy. You know, unlike today, we were pretty involved in those days. We really thought we could change the world. We really thought we could, you know, bring peace to our planet and racial. I mean, you know, growing up Italian in Westchester County, man, I really became very rebellious because of the way they treated my mom. Mm. I mean, it made me really angry, you know. Uh, not to go into it, but you know what I mean. No, I understand. My family got it, too. We were Sicilian. Exactly. Well, I'm half Sicilian. My mom was Sicilian. Yeah. But, you know, it really made me mad. So I've always been on that side of things, you know. Mm-hmm. And then when you, when, you, when you get a little deeper involved and you go into, like, you know, spiritual world, you realize we're all the same. Come on, we're all the same. What do we do? We have different color hair, different color. Oh, excuse me, you know. But, I mean, you know, go down to the molecular level. Where are you? Where, where? Anyway. So I've always carried that with me throughout my life. I, now we work. I'm working for Robert Kennedy, and I'm, I'm actually on a vacation. You know, I was in the island of Jamaica, and I was dating a girl, a woman who was there when he got assassinated. Oh wow! There, she was there. She's never been the same. I mean, she's she lost it. I mean, most of the people who were there, you know, that the trauma must have been. Anyway, I flipped. Wow! Something happened. Yeah. And. I just said, I, I got to say something. That's what came out. And, uh, you know, as I say, uh, I'm really proud to say it's it's still relevant. It's very relevant, and I hope a lot of people continue to play it and listen to it. Now, who wrote, you wrote the melody, the lyrics. Uh, tell everybody about that. Yeah, I wrote most of that song. You know, the, the, uh, the partnership with Eddie at that time was really strained. I put that together, recorded it, and the record company didn't want to release it. Wow. Yeah. Really? Now, was that Atlantic or? Yes. Wow. Yeah, they, they didn't want anything to do with it. They said, hey, you know, why, why are you doing this? And I said, what do you mean, why am I doing this? You know, what am I just here to make money? Yes. <laughs> well, you know what? The record companies don't really, they don't always understand. I mean, I remember fighting to get James Brown's Living in America released as a single off the album. No. They didn't want to release it. Of course not. I mean, they were just, I don't know, I don't even remember what song they wanted to put out first. So, yeah, talk to me about record companies. I got a friend who wrote a song called, It's Not the Money, It's the Money. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so they they didn't want to release it. How did you finally talk them into doing it? We had complete autonomy. Our deal was, you know, when I went in there, all five foot five or six of you, I, I, I wanted to be in charge. Right. I wanted to be the producers. I didn't want anybody telling us what to do, and we pretty much got that. Well, but that was after Groovin' came out, right? No, the original deal, the original deal. Oh, wow, okay. We had that deal, and we just were very blessed, as you say, because they took these kids in, gave us a shot, and they also gave us two geniuses to work with in the studio. 
So God was watching very closely, and he put these two monster talents in the room with us. One was, was by the name of Tom Dowd. Mm-hmm. The other one was the name of Arif Mardin, who was kind of like our George Martin. And uh, let me tell you, it was impossible to make a bad record. It was impossible. But the talent we had in that room there, was, it, was, it was really like, like heaven, making music with, with, especially with Arif, because he was so talented, Mm -hmm. you know, so you have an idea and he could expand on that idea to bring it to, into orchestral level, you know, because he was trained that way. It was just magnificent. So, you know, what happened is I would go to battle with uh, Jerry Wexler, rest his soul. And he would get really pissed, man. He's popping those nitroglycerins (laughs) and yelling and screaming because, you know, but we were in charge. I was in charge. We want this record out, you know, and it became number one. It became number one in places that were oppressed, such as as South Africa in those days and Hong Kong and Berlin. So it really meant a lot to me. You know, really, it still does. Wow. I'm really happy that you're there because the world needs more of this. We need positivity. We need strength. We need we just need love, you know. Um, the kids got to get on the right track here. Yeah, they do. They really do. I mean, back in the 60s when you guys were just forming, I was actually living in France and Germany, and I remember when the Beatles came out. Remember the Beatles came out with Komm gib mir deine Hand, which was uh, I Want to Hold Your Hand, and that was the days of Sgt. Pepper's band and you were in the United States in in the middle of everything with songs like Groovin' and A Girl Like You and I Love a Beautiful Morning and it just this was Well you know the interesting thing is when I when I came out of college, just as a quick aside, I, I was asked to join a group in Germany as a matter of fact. Really? Uh yeah we went to Frankfurt and uh uh, we, I think we went to, we also went to Sweden and, and the group that was opening for the band I was with were the Beatles and <laughs> nobody had ever heard of them. It was 64. It was a long time ago. And it was my first experience was, was, it was in the, and you know, those days Frankfurt was still bombed out, you know, it was, wasn't what it is now, you know? And so it must've been interesting for you to be over there. Well, you were, you were in the uh, army, Brad, as you said, so you, you were been a lot of a lot of places. Yeah, I went to uh, high school in in Europe, and you can still wander around places in Berlin and see bullet holes in the walls. Is that so? Yeah. Yeah, from the war, but I mean, I think that it was a magical time for music. Oh, oh yeah, no quite. That was our Renaissance period, uh, as the French, you know, had with people. Or there's no question about it. Because I mean, the creativity that came out of there, not only musically, but those those years, is still around. Yeah. Still, people still listening to it. That that doesn't happen. I mean, that was a long time ago. I asked my kids. I said, "Why do you listen to the music from the '60s?" <laughs> they said, "Well, Mom, you and Dad used to play them when we were growing up. So that's what we kind of grew, grew up with. That. So you know, they grew up with people like you and the Beatles and the Stones yeah, which and the is cool. Yeah, and, and you know, they they feel it. They feel that energy. See, see, because basically, in in my opinion, seriously, what happened is. When Woodstock came, it killed everything because the the corporations got involved. Right after that, they realized that there's a huge market out there. The demographic for the so-called baby boomers, et cetera, was a big marketing public. And they got involved. And when the, when, when the corporations get involved, the creativity takes the backseat, as you know. Yeah. So that's what, hap- that's what happened to our industry. Now, it's, you know, but of course, there's always like these little, you know, beacons of, 
god coming out, you know, that are just so talented, man, that you can't you can't push them aside, you know what I'm saying? But for the most part, it, it's a money money oriented. Uh, pushed by money, like our politics, the same thing. Yeah, you know, you buy your way in today. That's that's what it is. Okay, that's what's happening. Okay, what are you gonna do? Let's talk for a minute about the birth of Good Levin. I uh, that's uh, okay. <laughs> I can, sorry, I can't avoid some of these songs because they're just too good. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. Well, you see, it's interesting because when we started, the drinking age at that time was 21 in the metropolitan area, probably the whole country. And we were not allowed to play anything but what they call covers. Right. See, in other words, if somebody has already put a record out, you're covering it. You know, the nightclub owners... They didn't want to hear any of your songs. They they just wanted to get the people out there on the dance floor. They just wanted to make them buy drinks, and they could care less. So they didn't want anything but what they call top 40 or, in my case, covers. So what I used to do is uh, we, we'd go to this town up to, uh, in, in Westchester, which was a black town, uh, you know, and, and buy records that I heard on the radio stations that were in the in you know, so-called R&B world. And I heard this song, Good Lovin'. Now, it was completely different. It was done like almost in a Latin kind of like easy cha-cha kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I took it to the band. We started playing it. From the first day that we played that, people went nuts. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, it was like it, it, you cannot get a better, you know, reaction to a song. Okay, so now you skip to like Atlantic Records coming to see these kids that were on Long Island, on the Hamptons which is a place called a barge. And that's where we got discovered was out there, see? And the fellow that came out representing Atlantic Records, he heard it. He said, well, come on, we signed these guys. And as I say, we did not have any originals at that time per se. We were kind of like doing these covers. So that was one of the songs that we, we, we recorded, mm -hmm. you know, and it was exactly how we did it on stage. There was nothing changed. That's really the story. It became like, and still is, you know, uh, a, a beacon of, of uh, people getting up and dancing and having a good time. Yeah, and I can't think of anything more fun. So you had a, a run after that to uh, I've Been Lonely Too Long and Groovin' and How Can I Be Sure and A Girl Like You and A Beautiful Morning. I love that song. I used to sing that oh, to my good. kids when they were growing up. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was for. It was, it was a joyous part of my life you know basically you know at that time uh, all of those songs that you mentioned there uh, they were all written about this particular girl that i was madly in love with Aww. like abuse madly in love i couldn't even see and i'm writing these friggin' songs <laughs> and 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 you know it was it just poured out of you you know what i'm saying because uh you know, over the years, I've read about these different artists that, you know, had Picasso and he had this one, that one, all this inspiration. And then all of a sudden, how can I be sure? I said, man, what am I doing? This girl's too young for me. I'm, what am I doing? Mm. I woke up you know, from the dream, but it was a great dream. Well, Beautiful Morning was part of that dream because here we are, number one records. We just had come off a of groove or something like that. We're in Hawaii, which we were huge in Hawaii. I'm in love. 
the sun is shining. I said, what, are you kidding me? <laughs> are you serious? You know, this is not bad, man. Let me tell you. we got to write a song and just pass this joy on because that's what you're experiencing. You know, there's this joy. And that's, that's what I think people hear. from there you went from Atlantic to then uh, Columbia Records right and that kind of kicked off more of the jazz influenced sounds or talk about that for a minute I was a major uh, disruption let's put it like that uh, the group was tearing itself apart shortly I- internally mm-hmm. you know um, you know my, my ex-partner and writer companion and you know I don't, I don't know what happened to him he just he was not a happy camper. Well, it's a tough business. It's tough, especially the demands that were put on us. You know, some. You know why we were such a great team? Because he was the dark side and I was the light side. Oh. <laughs> we were perfect for one another. Let me tell you, he saw nothing but dirt and I saw nothing but fun. We were a great team, you know. But he was, you know, just... Anyway, so we're sitting down at a table with a contract to go from Atlantic to Columbia, and he left. He quit. At the signing. Seriously? Seriously. A lot of money on the table. And, you know, it was a big deal for us because, see, Atlantic Records at that time had only become an international corporation maybe a year or two before we left. You know, and that was when Zeppelin came in. It became Warner Brothers. Now you've got an international base you know, whereas before we had a tough time in Europe because every country had a different record company. So it was, you're getting robbed by everybody. <laughs> you know? so instead of one company, you got them all. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, all of a sudden, now Columbia was international. It's true. Oh, you know? can we get into Sony? No, never mind. We're not going to do that. Well, they weren't Sony yet. See, they were Columbia. <laughs> no, I know. I know. This is years later. Never mind. We're not going to talk about any of that. But, you know, it's one of the things that um, in looking back at your career and reading about you and and listening to your music, uh, you can be so proud that you are just still going strong. And you know what? Your voice is amazing. Thank God. You know, God gave you this voice that is still so strong. You, you're you just blessed with it. So what are you going to do with it next? I mean, what what do you think your purpose is? I'm going to keep going, man. I'm going to keep going. I don't know. I mean, like I say, I just, you know, I, I really love making music. And as I say, now I, I got my computer so I can make new music and pass it on. You know, it's it's the same with the, some of the, you know, major painters and people like that. I mean, don't don't stop them from creating because sometimes when they get older, they, they might be even better. You know, don't don't shut the door. And, you know, we really don't have an outlet today other than the, the Internet. Thank God. You know, I hope that, you know, we can get our stuff out. Even Paul Simon, I mean, he just finished an album about a year ago, and he said, I'm, why am I doing this? Nobody buys it. <laughs> you know, nobody buys it. Nobody, because they got the streaming now, you know. So everybody downloads it. What do you make? You know, you make nothing, yeah. you know, unless you're, you know, it's, it's, it's a whole different world now. So you've got to be inspired somewhere else, you know, because it costs money to make a good record. Of course it does. 
Well, we want you guys to all keep going because we need you. Let's talk about some of the people that, that um, like Stephen Van Zant. You've had an ongoing relationship with him. How did all of that start with him? Because he, I listened to the speech he gave when you were inducted into, you're in four different halls of fame. So forgive me, I can't remember exactly. I think I think it was the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He was hilarious. Now, do you know the story behind that? Do you know the story? No, I want you to tell people the story. Okay. First of all, Steve uh, was very instrumental in getting us into the Hall of Fame, uh, even nominated. You see, the problem is the nomination. There, that's where the that's where the funny business goes. Right. On. See, we vote, but they nominate. Of course. See, now nominations. Of course, you know you've been in show business. You know, I don't have to tell you. You know, the, the awards shows and all that stuff. He helped us a lot. Phil Spector helped us a lot. Frankie Valley helped us a lot. People that, you know, they, they came to try to get us just on the nomination. So anyway, so when we did the, the actual thing, and he was fantastic. He was great. <laughs> That's how he got his role in The Sopranos. Really? That night, <laughs> the producer, director, wasn't it? David, David something. I can't remember his last name from uh, Sopranos. Called him up. I want you to audition for the for this 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 thing I'm doing called the Sopranos because of that speech. <laughs> wow, is that cool? I have to tell you, I laughed so hard. I think the neighbors must have heard me when he took his jacket off and he had the white shirt with the the short black tie. <laughs> and he said he had another half hour. He was embarrassed to do it. You know, <laughs> yeah, he he he's an he's an interesting guy. He really is. You know, and. Uh, you know, it's kind of like the good and bad situation, too, because we, we went to work with him to do a Broadway thing, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, with the group. Right. I don't know, man. Like, it's so strange, you know, like here we are, you know, four guys, three Italians, one French Canadian and, and the rascals. And I don't know, man. We just can't can't seem to get along. You know, it's well, tours are tough. Those tours are tough. I mean, yeah, but no excuse. Like I say, especially at, at, at our age, you know, but Italians, you know, oh, my God. Oh, boy. He didn't dance with my wife when I was at the wedding. You know, that kind of I'm not talking to them ever. You know, I mean, that kind of stupidness. Felix, we, I have cousins who are not speaking to someone in the older generation because they didn't like the way they talked to them on the phone one day. And it's been like 30 years, you know, but that's Italians are emotional, but that's what makes you know, that emotional side of you is what makes you such an amazing musician, uh, well, right? Yeah. Well, I keep telling that to my wife. Not Italian. <laughs> I, I know Donna's blonde. <laughs> yeah, because you're saying, you know, well, how did you keep the voice? How did you get, all right, you know how loud we talk, right? Yeah, of course. I'm, I keep saying, I'm not yelling, I'm Italian. <laughs> yeah. My voice is always in training. It's, it's always getting used. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I want to never gets relaxed. Do you, do you have grandkids? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you pinch them on the cheek? Well, if they let me, yeah. Okay. You know, today's generation, they, they they think you're molesting them now when you touch them like that. I mean, oh my god. Yeah, I got, I got, a, I got a beautiful family. I'm, I'm really lucky, you know. I mean, I have good things. I, I lost one of my girls. She had a, 
As a matter of fact, that's how that thing happened with Van Zant. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, she had the breast cancer, you know. Oh, I'm so sorry. So uh, she she and her husband had a company, a, li- a limo company, mm-hmm. that you, that drives. They used to drive everybody: Bruce Springsteen, U2, uh, you name them, you know. So Van Zant, you know, uh, calls me up. She, my daughter calls me up. She says, "Dad, don't freak out. I got a lump," you know. Oh. Not even a week later, Van Zandt calls me up out of the blue. And he said, Bruce and I, we do this uh, special charity for cancer. Would you consider getting back with the group and doing it? I said, oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? I mean, like somebody is somebody is somebody talking to me direct. Yeah. And I said, yes. And uh, it was good because we were able to at least get her, you know, the best medical that we could get. And number two, that's what started that whole thing with, with Van Zandt and the group right mm. there. Wow. So I guess I got to I got to guess that it was supposed to happen, you know. It was. But yeah, I got uh. great family. Got a great family. We just lost somebody who is close to or was close to you, uh, Missy Elliott. Yeah. A lot of people. I mean, like, uh, you know, these people down here, John Prine, you know, he got this COVID crap. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and, and a lot of our friends in New York have had this, um, you know, not to talk out of school, but, uh, you know, the guys from the Letterman show, I mean, Paul and his wife, they both had it pretty bad. Mm-hmm. So, but it wasn't that bad in San Diego, was it? It's not that bad out there? No. Good. No, we're okay. We're okay here, actually. We're very lucky. And you, did you meet Martin Luther King? Because you did a, um, a fundraiser, didn't you? No, I didn't, I didn't meet him. Basically, what happened was when he passed, now we were on Atlantic, and Atlantic did this big concert at Madison Square Garden, which was one of the best shows I've ever been in in my life. Why? Why do you say that? I'm just curious. Well, the people who were were, were the artists, like you know, Aretha was there, Sonny and Cher was there, uh, who else? Sam and Dave were there. Uh, it was amazing show, man. It was great, and that's one of the last times I saw Jimi Hendrix was at that show. You know, he came back. That was fun. It was just tribute, you know what I mean? It was just a, a you know, like a memorial mm-hmm. of music. That was fun. It was at the Old Garden, too. You talked about also um, going to the Whiskey-A-Go-Go out west. Yeah. Those were the days, right? The Whiskey-A-Go-Go? I'm, oh, yeah. I remember yeah. sitting outside at the Whiskey one night, and uh, I got up to go to the ladies' room, and I came back, and there had been a drive-by shooting. <laughs> And there was a bullet hole on the back wall right by where my head was would have been. Oh, my God. I know. Wow. So you you talk about divine intervention, right? Oh, there's no doubt about it. Our whole life, seriously, you, you know, we've been we've been watched over. I, I believe that, you know, especially, you know, traveling around like a maniac like I have, you know. Yeah. And, 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 and I'm happy to say, you know, I, I still feel that today, you know, we're, we're in good shape here. We just, we just got to make it through this and make sure so far, you know, knock on wood, all my kids and my grandkids, everybody seems to be all right. That's, what are you going to do? Like I say, you know, they got this world they got to get into. It's a madhouse, this world. What makes you smile? What, do, what is your, when you think about what your purpose is, what comes to mind and, and what makes you happy right now? Well, you know, I, I don't really know. As far as a purpose, I mean, I, I, I have come to the conclusion that my music has been my purpose, so that's fine with me. Mm-hmm. I have no problem with that. What makes me happy is like, you know, seriously, is is, is just 
you know, I, it's the family. You know, if the family's okay, I'm okay. You know, if the family's not okay, then I'm, I'm not okay. It's, it's too much of a an attachment we have. You know, in in our in our Italian heritage, <laughs> we're too close. We're too worried about these kids. You know, they're going to be all right. I really believe that. You know, but they're going to have a tough time. Yeah, they are. You know, a lot tougher time than 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 we had. You know. And uh, that that's something that, you know, we're concerned about. So, you know, what do we do? Well, we, we try to educate them the best we can, give them everything we can, and, you know, just keep our eye on them. I had twins, you know, so it's been pretty interesting. So when you think about young musicians nowadays, what would you like to tell them if you could talk to them? What do you want to tell them about, you know, how important they are? They're so important. And I, I would love to see a little bit more love and positivity out there. What, what would you tell them if you could talk to them? Well, you know, uh, to be really serious about it, seriously, I, I, I mean, I moved down to Nashville to really uh, immerse myself in the songwriting and producing. You know, I figured, well, as far as being an artist, you know, there's a generation that, you know, is coming in and, and and what's happened to that part of our industry is is disgraceful because it's it's almost disappeared, you know, because of the uh, streaming. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just not there anymore. The publishing, I don't know if it means anything anymore, unless you're you know Taylor Swift or you know you're somebody that's going you know is going to sell product. You know, there's very few people like that. You know, the rest of us, the rest of the people that are out there. You know, there's a there's there's not a lot of money coming in. Well, I, I would tell young artists, look, you want to have a family, you know, you want to have kids, pay attention because this is not exactly the business it was where there was oil around the corner you could dig for. You know, it's very difficult now. Yeah. You know, and uh, I don't mean to discourage them, but I'm just saying, look, open your eyes. You know, it's not the pot of gold that was there before. You know, and if you're very fortunate, very fortunate, but you better be very very talented and you better have a lot of money behind you because you're not going to be able to get through unless you have money behind you i'm sorry that's how it is now of course you know somebody that's you know michael jackson level of talent he's always going to make it i mean of course you know i mean that that's ridiculous but how many people are at that level not many so it's difficult and and so that's what i tell a young guy or a young woman and and as far as a woman is concerned you know I, i have a daughter who's a phenomenal singer. Her name is Aria. We gave, we named, we gave her the right name. Oh, wow, yeah. And she tried it for a year in New York. She came home. She says, Dad, what are you kidding me? <laughs> so now she's got two kids. She's got a nice husband. Get the hell out of this business. It's it's very tough, very tough for sensitive human beings, you know? You know, and on the other hand, I have a lot of friends that do it on the side. Mm-hmm. Do it on the side. Because, mm-hmm. you know, like, make sure you have... And income, because it's really hard making a living. All these people are out of work now with this pandemic. Yeah. They're all out of work. I mean, okay, you know, I've been fortunate, but I mean, if you're a crew member or, you know, a production guy, a lighting guy, good luck. You know, there's no work. So what are we going to do? Meanwhile, you've got, you know, kids, they're home, they want to eat. What are you going to do? You know, it's a tough business right now. I am an eternal optimist, and I really believe we're going to come out the other end okay. Oh, yeah, we'll come out. I think we're going to be okay, and I think that water seeks its own level, and I do believe that 
there has to be a way because music is so important. What you do is so valuable and so necessary that the powers that be, the big guy in the sky, is going to make sure that it all comes together again. I really believe that. It will. It will. And I'm excited about your new CD. What's it called? I didn't ask you what it's called. You know, I don't even really have the name yet. I don't know yet, but as I say, it's uh, the five new and the five old, and we're going to come up with something here. But it's fun. We had a blast. (laughs) That's good to hear. That's good to hear. We had so much fun. You know, you're writing new songs. And, you know, as I say, the guys that I work with in my band, they're, they're just, they're in the same place, you know, as far as making music and, you know, Making love through your music. That's how they are. That's how they act. And and it's great because they're good. I wish I had these guys in my old group. Let me tell you. <laughs> well, no, seriously, they just, they're, they're dolls. Aww. Yeah, they're great guys. We've been together like 16, 17 years. Aww. You know? And and the rest was, we, we made barely five. Really? I thought it was longer than that. Oh, no. Wow. So you've been with these guys 16 years. I want to ask you before we go, Felix. For people who are new, who are not of our generation, who are, you know, the young kids, like, what are you most proud of? And if you could pick one or two songs, what do you want them to listen to? And I'm going to finish the interview with a little snippet of one of your favorite songs that we can leave these young kids listening to. Ha! Well, I, I would I would send them, first of all, send them to Beautiful Morning. I think that'd be good. Okay. And second of all, send them to people got to be free because they need that kind of uh, encouragement. So if they know that, you know, some of the older folk believe like that, maybe that'll help them out as far as getting their way through life. Because, you know, as I say, they're going to be fine. These kids are so smart, as you know. Yeah, they are. Yeah. And, and, you know, they got they got hearts that are so pure. I mean, unless they're tainted, of course, you know, uh, they're going to be all right. It's just in the meantime, getting there. You know, it's going to be a little rough for them. You know, just finding work, for example, you know, mm-hmm. uh, going to college and there's no job out there for you. Wait a minute. You know, what are you, what are you going to do? You know, so but they'll be OK, but they're going to need some help from us. There's no doubt about it. That's how I feel. We, we got to help them out. So that's what we're here for. <laughs> I'm so um, happy to talk with you and. So grateful for all of the wonderful things you've given to the world over the years with your career. And I'm excited that you have a new CD coming out. So we'll be following the news on that. All right. And uh, Felix Cavaliere. Lovely speaking to you, dear. I really enjoyed it. You too. Thank you so much. Bless you. Keep up the good work. And uh, we'll be talking again hopefully very soon. All right. Thank you. I appreciate you. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. And this is my favorite part of the show when I get to thank everybody that helped make it possible. First of all, Felice Cavalieri, or as you guys know him, Felix Cav. Thank you for your time. OWC's CEO, Larry O'Connor, President Jen Soule, and the marketing team of Chris Kuistra, Jennifer Myers, Mark Chaffee, Teddy Mazarin, our associate producer, Simona in Lithuania, social media team all over the world, TSMA, our UK post-production team, Gaston Barthelemy, and our post-supervisor, Penny Scott Andrews, and Felix's wonderful team who worked so closely with me to put this together, Melissa Kucherek, and the artist relations team of Randy Fuchs and Tanya Fuchs. 
And remember what I tell you guys, get up off your chair and go do something wonderful today. Have a great day. Till next time, this is Serena Catania signing off. So long. I've got- There's a man.